You can now relive the best moments of the UEFA Champions League 24-7. The UEFA Champions League channel is a new 24-hour streaming channel serving non-stop goals, highlights, and full match replays from the world's most prestigious club competition. Reminisce on your favorite moments, legendary players, and brilliant goals with the UEFA Champions League channel streaming around the clock on Pluto TV and the CBS Sports app. What's up? Welcome back to Barton and Bud. I'm Barton Simmons. He is Bud Elliott. Uh, Bud, it's nice to be climbing out of the paternity leave hole once again. Talk a little football, talk a little ball. I've been not exactly following the headlines, um, but but I'm still catching a waft of news here and there, particularly on the recruiting front. Uh, how's it going as I'm changing diapers and changing spit-up clothes? You know, Barton, recruiting front is – is really kind of all you've missed. I mean, a couple teams have had some COVID outbreaks, but other than that, like, it's been recruiting, and, and uh show's been going pretty well. We had the one paid episode. We, we had the episode la- last week that I we, – we do want to thank our listeners. I, we we think it was either Barton's mic or or, or perhaps my internet that caused some issues, but uh, no uh, negative reviews on that somehow. So, like, we didn't really social, social it. It was kind of only – if you were only already subscribed, uh, did you get it? But it, it worked out pretty well. There's been a lot of recruiting stuff going on. We're closing in on 500 ra- uh, ratings and reviews, so really excited about that. When, when we hit 500, we we might drop the the you know the, the double sided EP there and uh, and go with it and and just go just total total mailbag episode before we kind of get into hardcore season preview stuff. Uh, but one thing you said, I think probably about a month ago now, and we had our our Gabe Brooks also wrote uh, a follow up to this piece, uh, which I'm not sure if you checked out because you've been out. Uh, but Gabe, Gabe Brooks wrote about something you talked about, which was guys uh, kind of staying close to home, maybe some schools that had a lot of talent close to home, having even more more of an advantage this year dur- during the, the quarantine and COVID times. And, you know, one school really kind of personifies that, and, and that is Miami, and they have been on a tear. Yeah, uh, I've noticed. Um, you know, one of the – obviously the big one was James Williams, five-star – athlete, linebacker, safety, whatever you want to call them. Uh, Miami kept him at home. Um, they are, let's see, they're recruiting ranking right now as I, I'm just pulling it up, 10th in the country. Um, pretty good. So, but but here's the thing though, like, and this is, I think this is the important distinction to make. And and I think, Bud, you are the you're the right guy to to dig into this discussion because you're you're there in the state of Florida. You have followed state of Florida recruiting closely now for a long time. Miami has had plenty of moments when recruiting has been looking good. Usually they're a year plus away from the February signing day. And usually that really strong top five recruiting class starts to get decommitments and people come in and poach in their backyard and and they they start to 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 lose their footing as one of those top classes. You alluded to it, you know, Gabe wrote about it. I I've talked about it in the past. You know, maybe this is the year, given the circumstances, given the inclination that a lot of guys have to stay home, 
you know, may, maybe this is the year that, that Miami just keeps a bunch of these guys. They don't just commit, then decommit, um, commit, then go to Georgia, commit, then go to Alabama, whatever. Um, maybe this is the year they keep the guys, just like Maryland might keep some guys home, just like Rutgers might keep some guys home, just like USC, who's losing players over the last couple of years, might keep some guys home. But I, I, that, that's where I'm going to toss it to you, though. Like, you tell me. You're as equipped to, to handle this question as anybody. Is this different than, than years past? Or are we still going to be buckled up and, and, and ready for flip season come October as the early signing period starts to approach? Because they got 21 commits. It's a pretty full class as it is. How, how real do you think it is right now for Miami? I do think it's real, uh, largely for the reason that, that you, you gave there, right? There, most of these kids' exposure has been largely only to Miami, at least in-person exposure. I would say most of these kids have visited Miami's campus at, at least once, not during the quarantine necessarily, although they are still allowed to go over there. They just can't meet with the coaches in person on the campus. But it keeps them home around the larger community where they're, they're being pushed to go to Miami and stay home. They're not able to take these summer bus tours and, and go see a Georgia or, or Clemson or, or an Alabama although the schools are, are doing fine in the state. It does feel different as well to me because I, they're not usually this high, this late in the cycle. I mean, we are almost to August, and this is kind of generally when many of their decommitments have happened, and yet I don't see any reason for these kids to decommit right now based on new exposure to other programs. And, and I have no idea uh, if or when the NCAA will allow visits to to resume if you're Miami you you got to be thinking man we can ride this thing out we only have like four months until early signing period if that date holds and they don't move that we can really bring this thing home and yet I think in the back of their minds there's also this thought all right we've been hyping the new Rhett Lashley hurry up kind of Kendall Brow style offense we got Derek King as a transfer we got Jaron Williams as a transfer the the uh, the offensive tackle not not the quarterback uh, of a similar name if this looks really good this year, this could really help us have some staying power. If it doesn't, I think in the back of Miami fans' minds, they're also probably a little bit worried about the team that went 6-7 and seven last year and lost to Louisiana Tech in, in Shreveport. So I, I think it's much more real than it has been in prior years. I don't know that these kids are locks to stick because if visits open up, if Miami has a bad season, certainly everything could change. But right now, I... I think Miami has a pretty good shot of having a really good record, even if the offense is just decent, right? We think some of their leadership problems that were, were there really emanated from the quarterback position. And is Derek King a great leader? I, I don't know. Can he be at least like not an anti-leader? I, I think there's a pretty good chance of that. And, and so I'm fairly high on Miami this year, and I think that should really help their, their recruiting class. It, it is pretty amazing to see them – you know, go six and seven and yet pull this kind of class with Leonard Taylor still on the board announcing next week. And, and at this point, I think we, uh, we expect him to go to Miami. Uh, that's pretty surprising. And just from reading the comments today in my Sunshine State Scorecard article, Florida State fans aren't happy about it. Florida fans are exceptionally not happy about it considering they've, just got, they've won double-digit games in consecutive years, back-to-back -back, uh, New Year's Six Bowl 
victories. This this is going to be interesting, but I, it does seem different to me. And the connections that Manny has in Miami and his staff have in Miami are really paying off at the right time of a very unique time in in history of recruiting. So a couple things I want to <laughs> touch on based on what you said. First of all, I would be very surprised if things if if the recruiting dead period is lifted before the early signing period. Honestly, wouldn't you? Yeah. Like it feels like this is just going to be a year where and again, no one is restricting players from visiting campuses, but they are restricting coaches from interacting with them while they when they've reached campus. Like you can go walk the campus, you can go, you know, drive to Gainesville or Athens or wherever and and just, you know, give yourself the walking tour, but you you can't go and visit the coaching staff. You can't go in the building. You can't uh, take official visits. And it feels like to me that, I mean, hell, if 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 we're still even like questioning the the viability of a, a season, like they're certainly not going to lift the restrictions on on recruiting. And so uh, that feels like a bonus for Miami. But to your other point, like I do think this year continues to be really important. This feels like a fork in the road, seminal kind of year for Miami because last year, look, they, they, they played good defense under Manny Diaz last. Like I think the Daninos tire was um, not a great one. The, I, I think the offense obviously has been a mess. Rhett Lashley. I don't know that there's any guarantee. Like that, there's a lot of excitement about the Rhett Lashley offense, I don't think that there's any guarantee that the Rhett Lashley offense is is going to be the answer. I mean, people thought that the Dan Enos hire was this fantastic hire at the time. So let's not count our chickens on the Rhett Lashley stuff before they hatch. Uh, Derek King, yes, in 2018 was a stud in a new offense under Dana Holgerson in the first four games. This past year, he was not a stud. Like, what Derek King are we going to get? And so Miami has a built-in advantage of having these guys committed, having these guys in their backyard, these guys aren't able to, to take other visits. But I still think, to your point, if they get out on the field, they don't get it done. They don't look sharp. They don't, they, their offense hasn't improved. I mean, that Georgia recruiting pitch for James Williams or whoever the guy is that's the target of, of, of whatever poacher is coming down there, like that's going to start to be pretty compelling whether you're taking a visit or not. And so I, I think this is a huge year. Um, and then the last point is, is the contrast there between Miami and Florida. And so that's, I think, the other really big question in this, in this Miami discussion is, where does Florida fit in? Like, why hasn't Florida dominated given what they've done on the field? Are they capable of that? And, and are we just... Uh, you know, are are we being too reactive to a little Miami run right now? And we should expect something similar as Florida creeps towards the top five as signing day approaches. Um, I'll throw that last question to you. How do you feel about where those two programs are on the recruiting side of things uh, heading into the fall? So I, do you think it bothers Florida fans more when Georgia comes into the state and beats them for a kid or when Miami, who just went six and seven, is beating them for kids that their staff felt they led for 
for for several months. And and this is clearly like COVID related. I I, I think I'm not going to say that Miami staff does not deserve critics. I think they do. However, I don't think Miami would be where they are this year w- without the COVID thing happening. Like I, I don't now they would still be landing some of these kids, but I don't think they would land all of them if these kids had the the normal opportunities to go on on visits elsewhere. I, I'm just not convinced that Florida's recruiting staff is that good. I, I'm just not. Like they have, first of all, they're the University of Florida. We've seen multiple coaches really kill it in recruiting there. When Spurrier cared about recruiting, he did. When Ron Zook came in, wasn't even a good coach, really good recruiter. They killed it. Urban Meyer killed it in recruiting. To be honest, Muschamp acquired a lot of talent. He just, I'm not sure he can run a program that, that allows for an offense to, to actually flourish, you know, whatever practice habits and game day stuff, uh, or maybe it has something to do with picking players. Who knows? Or, or picking coordinators. Sure, right. I mean, yeah, like Charlie Weiss, uh, you know, sitting on the cooler at, at, you know, d- during the games was, was not the best look there. Um, I, I just, I'm not convinced that staff recruiting-wise is as good as, as Florida fans deserve. And yet, Dan Mullen does a tremendous job September to January. Their fans just get really mad at him February to August. And sometimes I, I think there's, there's some valid, valid reasons for that. And I thought Florida was going to get Leonard Taylor up until probably about a month ago. You know, I, I, I thought Florida was going to be in, in it for, for a lot of these guys. And ultimately, look at, look at the Dallas Turner decision. I mean, Florida had a hat on the table, but, but all of us kind of knew it was either Bama or Georgia, right? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it, the, like the, it's it, the frustrating thing with Florida. Like, they've tasted what it feels like to have both, to have good coaching and good recruiting. They've, they've been there. They know how good that feels with Urban Meyer. And so the, the reality is elite coaching and elite recruiting, it, it, they don't come around that often. And the good, like it's, it's almost like a question of what would you rather have? Would you rather have elite coaching or elite recruiting? Um, obviously, everyone wants both. But, hey, listen, at least Florida has one. And probably they've got the one you'd rather have, which is elite coaching. Like Dan Mullen's going to get his guys ready. He's going to he's going to get the most out of his his roster. He's going to get the most out of his recruiting classes. Um, but they just take they just take some head scratchers, um, and and I think that they take some of those guys based on I don't know, like whether it's whether it's an effort thing, whether it's an evaluation thing. I don't know, but they just take some head scratchers. That said, like we should Florida should get a little credit right now. Like they they've recently got the Marcus Burke kid, who is one of the best deep threat wide receivers in the country, big body outside guy. That's going to be, we like him better than the industry for sure. Yep. And, and another guy we like a a lot better than the industry is Donovan McMillan, who they got out of Pennsylvania, who is a stud at safety. And so there's, it's, it's not as if Florida isn't over here doing, you know, recruiting at, at a high level. They're 11th in the country. Um, I think the question with Florida is just, you know, what, why can't they get into the top five? Why can't they get into that top three? And, and, I'm with you. I mean, I think you can do that at Florida. You obviously can do that at Florida. And it's certainly not the rankings process that's out to get Florida. I mean, these guys are ranked what they are. Um, it's it's just, I, I think that they're, um, that's just where we are. It's where we are right now. Really good coaching, good recruiting staff, elite coaching staff. Um, and, you know, the they're, they're being compared against some staffs like, 
Ryan Day and Nick Saban that can do both at a really elite level. And, and I think you have a unique opportunity to truly drill down on, okay, what, what's the issue here? Because you do have elite location and elite results and elite development. So that really, like, if you have all those things, there's not a whole lot of other variables it can be. It's just you don't have enough ace recruiters on the staff. Yeah. In my opinion. Like, you got a, hell, you got a really great, great number of very good coaching coaches. Maybe there's just an imbalance of one or two guys, you know? I don't think it takes a whole staff overhaul. No, no. And it's, it's, as, as in a lot of cases, um, it probably takes – I mean, it's a, it's a top-down – I mean, if Dan Mullen really dials in, you know, that's, that can really impact things as well. I mean, that's, I think it starts with the head guy. I mean, when you think of the best recruiting programs in the country, you, you do think of Ohio State, you think of Alabama, you think of Georgia. Those are all head coach you know, driven recruiting staffs. That's what you have to be in today's game. Dan Mullen isn't that. Brian Kelly isn't that. Um, like, there's a lot of really good head coaches that aren't that. Um, we'll see if 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 that changes. But we we're confident in the products on the field. Uh, Nick Saban is that. He is Nick that. Saban, <laughs> Nick Saban is that. And I, you know, let's let's rewind back to oh, I don't know. Pick a month. Pick a week. How about late March? I don't know where they were. They were ranked like 45th, 47th. Like, and I go on radio shows in Alabama, and it happens every year. Like, anytime Alabama isn't ranked in the top five at any point, you got to go on the Bama radio circuit and, and, and tell, you sort of calm the folks down and say Nick Saban's going to be okay. I will admit, though, this cycle. It's not that I was worried about Alabama from a from a recruiting standpoint. It was more that Ohio State was off to such a furious start that it was like, look, Alabama's they're gonna they're gonna get back in this game and they're gonna be fine and they're gonna have a, an elite class and they're gonna be you know they're gonna be golden. But they ain't catching Ohio State. Um, that's just what Ohio State's done in getting this class started is just too much. And here we are in july and they may they may catch ohio state like they may they've got they've, they've got a shot at the number one class and uh you know nick saban clearly had a plan going into the spring to evaluate and get to camps and get out on the road and then they were going to decide who they wanted they weren't able to do that but they decided who they wanted anyways pushed the button on them and and here we are now it's been a it's been a ridiculous a uh, few weeks, month, whatever you want to call it, for Alabama, and they're sitting number two and uh, right there next to Ohio State is top class in the country. So I, I think we do some of, the sa- some of the same radio shows like WJOX, Roundtable, Cole Kublik. And they're like, hey, you know what? what's wrong with Alabama's recruiting? I said, look, call me up and ask me this question when their targets start committing elsewhere. All right, when, when, the guy, when they start missing on the guys they want, then I'll start worrying. It's April. Most of the guys they want are still on the board. I'm, I'm not real worried for them at this point. You know, they've done some serious work in the state of Florida. Here's a stat that might blow your mind. Top 15 players in Florida, excluding like the IMG kids who you know, are, are basically transfers in from out of state. Bama has four of them. Miami, Florida, Florida State combined have three. I mean, that is just coming down to, to your neighbor to the south and cherry picking who you want. 
and three elite receivers, all with with different kind of skill sets. They get Dallas Turner. They pick up J.C. Latham. And that if if they come back and they do get the number one class, J.C. Latham will, will be the guy that swings it to them because for a long while we thought he was going to Ohio State, and then Bama did a tremendous job with, with offensive line coach Kyle Flood and and the staff over there convincing him that Alabama's the place that he needs to be. Obviously, their recent record of offensive line development, I think, was a major catalyst in, in that, as well as you know, talking to some IMG guys who, who JC knew, uh, who are at Alabama right now. They've got a shot at number one, dude. They they really do. They could pull Jason Marshall, by the way, the the, the top cornerback in the state of Florida. And I mean, if I'm a betting man, which I am, I would have to still take Ohio State right now. But I'm not super confident in taking Ohio State, and I'm, and I'm not laying a whole bunch of points. Like, if you give me Alabama plus 10 points in the final rankings, roll tide. Right. right? Like, how many points would you need to take Bama? Like, give me a field goal, give me a touchdown? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I uh, in terms of, like, our rankings formula, for me to take, you know, I, I would, uh, yeah, if you're if you spotting me, if you're spotting me 10 points, I'm on, I'm on the tide. Um, you know, I, I think, and, and you mentioned what they've done in the state of Florida. I think that like, that's the really, that's what has been most impressive, most telling about the success that Alabama has, has continued to have in recruiting is what they've done in Florida consistently. And, and when you pair that with what they've done in Texas consistently too. You know, I mean, think about what they've done in Texas. You know, Jalen Waddle. Um, you know, they get uh, last year was Drew Sanders, who was the best player in the state. This year, they're getting the Brockermeyer brothers, who you know, Tommy Brockermeyer was injured last year, but before that, we thought he might be the best offensive lineman in the country. Still, might be. Um, and so, they do this around the country. Um, I think they finally settled into a staff too. That you know they, they had that they had a lot of turnover for a couple of years in a row there. Uh, now they've got their they've got their aces like a Charles Huff, who's the number one recruiter in the country right now for the twenty four seven Sports recruiter rankings. But they've got Sal Sonseri and Charles Kelly um, and Jeff Banks and some guys that have 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 been in a lot of these battles before. Know what it's like to to coach under a, a coach like Nick Saban, know what's expected of them on the recruiting trail. And uh, it just feels like Alabama is in a really stable place right now as it relates to recruiting. Not that they're ever in, uh, unstable from a recruiting standpoint, uh, but it, it, it feels like they're very comfortable right now. Um, and and that, I think that could carry over to the season too. Like, Particularly, you you know you you inject some new blood in the strength and conditioning program. Uh, there, after a lot of years of volatility on the staff, just in terms of guys leaving and coming, there's there's a little bit more continuity there. Uh, they're coming off a year where they didn't make the playoffs. It just feels like right now, as we sit here today on July 28th, recording this thing, Alabama has a comfort level even amid the chaos that's going on everywhere in the country right now in the college football world, Alabama is probably more settled 
and comfortable right now than just about anybody. And, and that's a little bit of a scary thing. If, if this season pops off, uh, I think there's a lot of reason to think the tide or, or have a chance to be pretty successful. So two more points on Bama before we throw this to an ad break. Number one, like what's the most recent actual sporting type event to have happened like since quarantine? It's the NFL draft. And damn it, if they didn't time like time this up perfectly timing-wise and position-wise. Like, what are the two positions that Bama needed the most this year? Offensive tackle, receiver. What do we see in the first round this year? Bama offensive linemen, Bama receivers. That that's the thing that's the most fresh in these kids' minds. And and I mean, I'm not gonna pretend like Bama controlled that and they're like, all right, cool. Well, this year we need receivers and tackles in recruiting, so let's go ahead and get some receivers and tackles drafted. But they're certainly not going to turn down that stroke of good luck and, and coincidence there. They've been able to sell that on the trail very effectively. The other thing, uh, and I'm not going to get in trouble by naming some names, but they have kind of smacked down some of these teams who we he- kind of hear on the down low are the most prevalent of, of spreading the Nick Saban's going to retire. Nick Saban has lost a step as far as their, their SEC rivals who, you know, who might dare to say that kind of stuff. And they might be right eventually. But right now he doesn't show in any real signs of slowing down, they also went into in, into Georgia and got Terrence Ferguson, who we have as, as you know one of the best guards in the country. Like this O line class, Charles Power wrote about it. it. It has a legitimate chance to be the best offensive line class in the history of recruiting since the USC class that had like Matt Khalil, Tyron Smith, you know, pretty pretty solid uh, group there for uh, for the Trojans. And, and Bama could easily equal and surpass that. This is a pretty sick group, man. And you're right; they might have a big year on the field too. Yeah, and, and you uh, you said it earlier, but I, I I agree with you that like this the the catalyst for all of this, what changed the trajectory for me for this Alabama class was when they got J.C. Latham. He's the number one offensive tackle in the country. He's a contender for the number one player in the country. And for a long time, we were penciling him into Ohio State's class, sort of adding him to the formula to what to why we saw Ohio State running away with the, the recruiting 2021 recruiting cycle and then he started the you know the buzz started to circulate that Alabama had a shot there um, ultimately they land him assuming they keep him you know that is to me what has changed the path for this Alabama class from one that's just another good Nick Saban class that'll be up there at the end of the day to okay the, they, they just hit the accelerator on this thing. What's what's next? Um, and so uh, it, it's sort of fitting that it's the the offensive line because, like you said, it, this is truly turning into one of the best offensive line classes we've seen. Barton said, what's next? What's next is a quick ad break. And when we come back, we'll be talking about his quarterback rooms article, which everyone agreed with. So it should be a really short segment. Baseball has begun, which means you need to listen to Fantasy Baseball Today in 5, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network. Join Scott White, Chris Towers, and me, Frank Samphill, every Monday through Saturday as we deliver all of your fantasy baseball needs in just five minutes. We'll break down the biggest performers, news, and prospects who could make an impact this season. Make sure to download and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, the Odyssey app, and everywhere else podcasts are found. All right, welcome back to the Barton and Bud Show. Now let's let's go ahead and get into this. Barton, you uh, put out last week your quarterback rooms article. This is always highly anticipated. I, I know I enjoyed reading it before I came over to twenty four seven, and now that I'm I'm you know part of the, the network, I'm able to enjoy it and watch the development of it. So this is you 
at its core, ranking the quarterback room. So that's not just the starter. It's not just the backup. It's all of it. Uh, how did this idea come about, and, and how do you go about, about doing this? Well, the idea came about, I guess I, I, I did it the first time, maybe it was two years ago, um, but it was coming off of basically, so like we had the, the Georgia-Alabama National Championship in which two backups that started the season as backups finished the field in the National Championship game playing against each other. Uh, the year before that, Jalen Hurts won a national championship or was, was playing the national championships with Alabama as a former backup himself, um, Trevor Lawrence, uh, a, a guy that started the season as a backup. And look, all these guys are highly regarded, but the bottom line is, you know, it's, it started to become clear to me that you needed to have depth in your quarterback room, whether that was because of injury, whether that was because of, um, you know, basically just making sure the best, like you had multiple good options. So that the best player found the field, uh, whether it was just sort of the ability to absorb injuries and, and, and I mean, cause remember, you know, Trevor Lawrence, uh, was injured. What was it? Two years ago. And then Chase Bryce jumped in, maybe that was last year. Um, and, and won a game for him. I guess that was two years ago. Yep. Like it's just, it takes more than one quarterback, I think in a lot of cases. And, and I also, it's important to have a succession plan, to have a, a, a depth chart that doesn't clear out and that is, doesn't drop off a cliff behind the starter. And so just like, there's a lot of reasons why I felt like a quarterback room, more so than any position room, was important as a group. And so I started digging into it. And um, you know, this, year's, this year's list is you know, probably no, no big surprise at, near the top. Um, Clemson was number one. I put Clemson number one because you got it went one two Clemson Ohio State, which is probably going to be one two the NFL draft, Trevor Lawrence and Justin Fields. Uh, but both of those programs now have a five star backup, which I think is pretty important. You know, DJ Uyangalale at Clemson uh, and CJ Stroud at at Ohio State. I think one of the things interesting about Ohio State being at number two is last year. I, and I, and I, I think some others thought this way too, like one of the things that kept me from picking Ohio State as a national championship team, and my, I might have even not picked them in the playoffs. I don't remember if I did or not. But the, my, my only question mark with Ohio State was quarterback depth. Um, if Justin Fields got hurt last year, and he did get banged up a little bit, um, they didn't have anyone behind him that, was, that, that, that could really win a game for him, a big game for him. Uh, fast forward to this year, C.J. Stroud's a backup who is a former five-star stud, future of the program there. Jack Miller, another uh, guy that we weren't as high on as the rest of the industry, but still a true freshman that was really highly recruited. And then Gunnar Hoke, who, who played some last year, as capable to come in and, and just fill a hole. So I think Ohio State suddenly is really equipped to, to absorb some some loss and, and even equipped to be successful beyond this year at the quarterback position. Trevor Lawrence, DJ Uyangalale, Tyson Pumashan, guys that can all get it done for, for Clemson. And then Alabama's three because I think they have two guys in Mac Jones and Bryce Young that can win a national championship with them. Bryce Young being a true freshman. And then I'll go four and five, and then you can kind of pick where you want to go. Uh, I, I thought Texas – Particularly because they not only do they have a starter in Sam Ellinger, who's obviously really good, 
but they've got, in my opinion, a really exciting group of freshmen coming in. Hudson Card and Jaquindon Jackson, both true freshmen. One of those guys is going to be really good, if not both. Maybe they'll both be really good, just at different programs. Uh, Jaquindon Jackson, sort of this all-purpose, really athletic, big-bodied player that a lot of people thought was the best player in the state of Texas, regardless of classification, last year. And then Hudson Card, former wide receiver himself, who is uh, a, a really talented quarterback in his own right. Both those guys were top 100 players. And then there's George at five, Jamie Newman, JT Daniels, Carson Beck, a true freshman, like just a lot of options there. Um, Jamie Newman and JT Daniels both look like NFL guys to some degree, and both are going to be competing for a starting job this fall with varying skill sets, which I think gives you uh, some, some options as well in terms of like what you want to do offensively. So that's kind of the top of the list. And then obviously there's a, there's a lot, that's, that's where beyond that, it's, it starts to get pretty, uh, pretty subjective, pretty quick. It, it, it's, it's a really interesting list. I, I, I think one, two is, is very obvious in some order, depending on, you know, if, if you are a CJ Stroud guy or, or a DJ guy, I, I think you have it right. Uh, just, just based on what we've seen, DJ is a little more proven than Stroud is a lot both there. Ceilings are super high. Um, interesting with, with with Bama third. Uh, I I get that though because I, I I know like how much you respect Bryce's game, and that's that's a long term projection with the stability there of Mac. Like like you said, Texas Georgia is interesting on, on the order. I, I think a lot of people would have had that flipped because Georgia does have Jamie and JT. Uh, I will are, say are I will prudent. say this, and in my defense on that, this ran. Um, a couple weeks after I wrote it, maybe a week after I wrote it. Um, and at the time I wrote it, Daniels had not been granted eligibility. And so I was sort of writing this under the assumption Daniels would be eligible. So the room was more about long-term upside than it was this season. I think had JT Daniels been granted eligibility, I might've jumped Georgia up to number four because you know, Sam Ellinger, as good as he is, I think is, is, is a comparable player to a Jamie Newman type. And just like to have those, have two bullets to fire with Jamie Newman and JT Daniels is, you know, that, that's probably enough to trump Texas at four if, if I were to, to do it over right now. But, but that's still an, an interesting debate either way. And, and both rooms are, are pretty loaded. I think Florida at six is, is fair. I mean, I, I see Florida fans in the comments saying they should be higher, but at the same time, I think their argument mostly is is depth, right? Like like Trask is good, but we also had PFF say that he had like the highest percentage of, of interceptable passes that weren't actually you know caught for picks last year. So there's yeah. some concern there. I think Florida thinks that Florida fans think Florida should be higher because they have a higher opinion of Kyle Trask than I do. Where, where the the reason I have them even as high as sixth is less to do with Kyle Trask, less to do with Emory Jones, more to do with Anthony Richardson. Like I just sit here and think about Dan Mullen at Mississippi State, and you remember when Keaton Thompson came in at the end of the twenty, would it have been seventeen, the twenty seventeen season? I guess the bowl against Louisville. Yeah, yeah, and and like he like his two he had like he played in the Egg Bowl, and then he came in like uh, due to injury in the Egg Bowl, and then he and then in the bowl game against Louisville, and everyone was looking like, oh, this is the next like. Dan Mullen quarterback, this big, athletic, rugged dude. And I, I think 
his like Anthony Richardson to me is probably an even better Keaton Thompson. I think a more athletic version, probably more upside. Um, yeah. more but physical for sure. But but like the the contrast he provides to a Kyle Trask starting quarterback and the opportunity, like the the different ways Dan Mullen can fashion an offense around Anthony Richardson, I think excites me more about the depth of the of the Florida room than just sort of trotting out Kyle Trask as a starter. And I have a lot of respect for Kyle Trask as a starting quarterback, but again, like I just think Kyle Trask with Emory Jones as a quality backup with Anthony Richardson as this like huge X factor wild card to me is what excites me about the room and, and why I put them as high as sixth. I have a good uh, Anthony Richardson story, by the way. Uh, so I went out there to the, like the Florida legends game is basically the underclassmen all-star game that, that they play every year in, in Tampa uh, of, you know, recruits from Florida and there's kind of the West team and the East team and whatnot. And, and I had seen Richardson's film, but I had never actually eyeballed him in person. And, the quarterbacks were warming up and he was kind of warming up a little bit over to the side at first. And I was like, Oh, this must be like a camp counselor or, or like one of the coaches. Cause you know, <laughs> yeah. he, he had, he had his do rag on, he's jacked as hell. He looks like he has like three kids, a, a mortgage, you know, and, and all of a sudden like he kind of gets in, in the rep line. I was like, Oh shit. Like who, this is the dude. Like, okay. Yeah. And I'm high on Richardson for this reason. I, I think he has upside as a passer. He's not refined as a passer, but he doesn't suck as a passer. And we've also seen what Dan Mullen can do with a mobile quarterback. And he is uh he's really like physically, he's got it. You know what I mean? Like, like he's not somebody that that safeties and, and corners are gonna be able to bring down easily. And I, I, I think the floor there that he presents to Florida is is really nice. Um North Carolina. I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, no. Yeah, I was, I was agreeing. Yeah. So North Carolina eight. I'm I'm a little surprised you're this high on Minnesota. Can, can we can we talk about Minnesota at nine? I, I get the love for Tanner Morgan. I I like Tanner Morgan too. I do want to see if Tanner Morgan would be as good if they if they actually relied on him more. Like right now, he throws almost exclusively off play action. His reps per game are very low. It seems like they give him a whole lot of favorable situations to throw in. And to his credit, in those situations, he protects the ball. He delivers. They score touchdowns. If they had to lean on him to chuck it around more, I I do kind of wonder if he would be, you know, that good. Uh, but I'm curious. Like, are are you are you that high on, on their backups as well? Because these are some names I'm not sure other college ball fans would know that much. Well, I, I one thing to remember is that Zach Anikstat actually beat out Tanner Morgan for the starting job at one point in his career, um, and so that I feel like that gives us some comfort that Zach Anikstad is a starter quality quarterback and that they've got a really, like maybe the second best quarterback in the big 10 as your starter. And then a guy that is also starter quality behind him. That's two That's a two quarterback situation there that a lot of that, that most teams would, would trade for. Like that's more than most have. Most have, they know they have the one because they got whoever's returning. But beyond that, you don't really know what you have, or like, certainly I don't. And so that was more of a just like a concession to, uh, to, to the, the substance that's at Minnesota. And yeah, it's not as flashy. Even Tanner Morgan as a, as a player is not like the flashiest quarterback. But I think that's, that Minnesota could get, they could at least go too deep. And not and not 
feel any strain as far as like their ability to win a football game. That's fair. All right, let's go ahead and get to the haters ball here. Uh, you have Ole Miss at 14, despite the fact they have John Reese Plumley and Matt Corral. I'm big. I'm pretty high on Cade Renfro. I don't think this is bad. I'm sure some Ole Miss fans didn't didn't love uh, that ranking. Let's go down a little more though. Boomer Sooner at 16. Barton, are, are, are you not a Spencer Rattler guy, or, or do you just think that what they brought in after him is not not very good? Are you just accounting for the five-star transfers that Lincoln Riley will, will inevitably bring in after this? What, what's, what's up with him at 16? Well, I, I, I mean, Spencer Rattler, I think he's really good, but he's a first-year starter that's and not a first-year starter that's a transfer. He's a first-year starter, like, like first-year starting in college football. and that I think you got to prove something like I've done and 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 Spencer Sand or Spencer Rattler is not like to me he, he was he was our number one quarterback he was a five star but he's not he wasn't Bryce Young to me he wasn't Trevor Lawrence he wasn't Justin Fields and and granted if he had a really high quality backup that I really trusted then Oklahoma probably goes shooting way up but Tanner Mordecai and Chandler Morris, neither of those guys are guys that I have a lot of faith in. They'll be fine. Both those guys would be fine in Oklahoma's offense. But I think if you trade that quarterback room for any of the any of the rooms above it, essentially, I I I take the ones above it. If I if I'm building a roster uh, and I need and I need to win this year and I need to win next year also, I'll take the rooms above it. As I say that. I don't know how much I believe that because I'm sitting here thinking about having Spencer Rattler for a couple of years and I still think he's going to be really good. But that's, I mean, that's, that's ultimately like what's where these decisions are tough is how much am I going to bank on a Spencer Rattler who's never started before without any quality backups, any elite backups, I should say, versus, versus a room that's got maybe multiple quality arms. Like this is a great comparison to Minnesota. Nowhere near the upside or sex appeal, like the, Minnesota is, is a is a baseline starter with a baseline backup. Uh, more upside with OU, but I, I just trust Minnesota a little bit more on this list. Did AM fans like their ranking at 19 with, with Jimbo, who's kind of a quarterback whisperer, or at least at one point in his career was? I don't know. I didn't hear him a lot on Twitter from AM fans. The one that was interesting that I got a lot of uh, Twitter heat from, there are two. Um, one was Michigan, which I feel like is, has really no, no grounds for being upset. I mean, but 20, they wear that helmet that has, <laughs> has the, you know, the, the, the flying. Like, like they, they've got the, so Dylan McCaffrey and Joe Milton are two quality options at quarterback, neither of whom have ever started a game and worse. And, and yes, maybe five years ago when we still think that Jim Harbaugh is a quarterback whisperer, a reputation that he earned uh, rightfully, but he hadn't had a quarterback since Jake Rudock, who's been really good in that offense. And so we can't just assume that these guys are dudes. Like we haven't seen them step in and ball out at, at any point. And if they were any good and you, you, touched on this before the pod, so I don't want to steal your line, but if they were any good, they'd have beat out Shea Patterson. Uh, I shouldn't say if they were any good, but if they were elite, 
you like to think they would have beat out Shea Patterson because Shea Patterson was not elite as a starter either. Uh, so I think Michigan, without a start under its belt at 22, is a very fair spot. It, I think it's actually putting some faith in Jim Harbaugh and, and of course, some faith in, in, in the rankings. I mean, like we, we did have McCaffrey rated, I think, as a four-star, right? And I, I think Milton was probably a four-star. Yeah, both of those guys were – yeah, Milton was a low four-star, maybe outside the 247 guy maybe, and McCaffrey was a guy that was a really high four-star early, uh, dropped as the process went on, but still did finish inside the 247. If, uh, if, it, if it ends up being Milton and, and Harbaugh fixes his accuracy, we should send Jim a plaque because like this would be – like example A number one of the idea that you actually can teach accuracy because he he had just some of the most amazing throws I've ever seen and then just some of the most like wh- what was that like like type throws I've ever seen in seven on when when nobody's rushing him um, yeah. who was the other team who uh, who caused some some heartache I, I will say this I have I have twinge twinges of regret leaving this team off you tell me what you think bud. UCF got pissed. Got a lot of UCF hate. Do you think UCF deserves to be on this list? Okay, who would I take UCF over? So, so Dylan Ga- So, just for the for the listeners, you got Dylan Gabriel, you got uh, Daryl Mack, um, and you technically you have Mackenzie Milton too, but Mackenzie Milton, I don't think we can really factor him into the equation because we don't really know yet unless I'm mistaken did I miss something where like we're suddenly confident McKenzie Milton's full recovery and he's no he's be good uh, no and and I'm I'm friends with with, with some people at at UCF and, and obviously live in Orlando even though they think I'm like the biggest UCF hater ever on on Twitter um I'm actually you know, I think that they're pretty brilliant with a lot of their stuff like their parade for their national title was genius You're a believer like, huh yeah no no i'm not but i'm a believer in in, in how how brilliant that marketing plan was right, right. espn covered a parade that ucf <laughs> threw like you know if we threw a parade as the number one podcast in the country i, I don't think like people would show up but, but they, they did and it worked if if mckenzie milton was going to be the starter like i think there would be real buzz about it at, the, at this point and I, I think people will be talking like hey man we got mckenzie back like mckenzie was the dude who brought us you know, to, to the promised land there when we beat Auburn and, and had, had the undefeated season, blah, blah, blah. I'm not entirely sold on – I'm really not entirely sold on, on Baylor's quarterback room, to be honest. I, I, I'm not a huge Charlie Brewer guy, although I think Jake Zeno is, is interesting. I'm really not that sold on Arkansas's quarterback room. So you know, that, is, I wanted to talk about Arkansas. You go, go ahead, but I want to follow up on Arkansas after you make your point here. And look, some of this is, you know, I – when I saw Hornsby in person a couple times, he was not good for me on those days. And that's why it's important to go back to the film because his film is better than what I saw of him in person, you know, in, in the last cycle. Felipe Franks, I think, has some talent. Stephen, jo- or, or Stephen Jones actually super productive. Like, that, that could be an interesting one. I, I don't, I'm not saying UCF should necessarily be over Arkansas. And Gabriel does some stuff, too, to where it's like, okay, I, I don't think that throw works at the P5 level. You know, like, like some of those balls he was throwing up against Cincinnati. Cincinnati DBs were, were, were covering those, and, you know, maybe East Carolina's DBs are not. 
but I, I think they're arguably okay to be on this list. So, yeah, I, I think that I understand a UCF fan's disappointment of not being on this list and feeling like they should be. You can make a strong case they should be. And um, objectively, like I, I have some regrets on not having it on there. And yet, on the other side of the coin, if you took any of these quarterback rooms that are on this list and you just transported that those players to UCF in that conference with that coaching staff and asked them to do what Josh Heupel wanted them to do, I don't think that like I would necessarily trade Dylan Gabriel and Daryl Mack for whoever you just transported in there. Like I, I think a, a lot of it is, is just, just that. I mean, that, that UCF staff is that good, that the talent around those guys is really good. And I don't want to take anything away from Dylan Gabriel, but if let's, I mean, they, Nebraska's 23rd on this list. Like what would Adrian Martinez do? in the AAC with, with those guys around them, with Luke McCaffrey behind them. Like you're telling me that those guys aren't as good as Dylan Mag- Gabriel and uh, Daryl Mack. Uh, I, I, I just don't know that I believe that. Um, so I guess I've got, I've, I've got mixed feelings about UCF and, and, and where it belongs on this list. In defense of Arkansas. So Felipe Frank's flawed quarterback, but – SEC, like he's won some big games in the SEC. Like he's a legitimate, like competent SEC starter, and that has always been like last, the last couple of years. I've sort of talked about like can we see an evolution from bad Felipe Franks to competent Felipe Franks to above average Felipe Franks, and then someday maybe we get to great Felipe Franks, who is this athletic, strong arm, physical monster cannon kid. I don't know. Like he didn't have to get there for Arkansas to deserve to be on this list because KJ Jefferson was a true freshman last year, who was a really talented kid, a guy we had as a four star. John Stephen Jones is a is 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 nothing more than a backup or you know just sort of a a, a stopgap sort of starter, but he's a he's decent. Like he you can do some things with him, and then Malik Hornsby I think has a chance if he hits to be special. He is an uh, elite athlete. He was outstanding at the All American Bowl last year. So I just look at that room and I see four quarterbacks you can win with. And, and a couple of them, and KJ Jefferson and Malik Hornsby, and maybe even Felipe Franks, have an upside that is really, really high. And so I, I think I'd take that Arkansas room over a lot of rooms in the country and, and feel pretty good about the future there. And, and again, like a lot of this is me with a little more belief in maybe a Malik Hornsby than you, but you know, don't forget KJ Jefferson either, because I think KJ Jefferson is a legitimately quality option in that room as well. I think you might've just convinced me by the way, just, just because the, the power in numbers, right? Like right. I, I think Gabriel might be the best of any of these guys, but I don't think Mac is actually anything special. And I'm not convinced that UCF has, has the heir apparent uh, to them on the roster right now, whereas Arkansas does kind of have those strength in numbers. And, and the chance that one of those guys turns out to be really good, I, I think, is is pretty decent, assuming, of course, that uh, they, they can develop a quarterback there. And, you know, like there's, there's a lot of factors. Who you put around them, that, that's a pretty clearly a, a tough division. The one team we kind of glossed over and we, we need to talk about, which I think has sneaky number one in this group potential. Like if, if somebody's get like we, if we re-rank these guys five years from now, 
and re-rank these rooms, is there somebody outside the top five where you might go back and say, damn, okay, this was actually the top room? That room was really good. Uh, I'm just going to scroll here real quick. Um, I'm curious. I mean, I'm curious who you're, who you're pointing to. Who I, I you think of Stanford. Of? Yeah, I mean, that was who I was looking at as I said that. It's all about it's all about Tanner McKee. Yeah. Because Davis Mills, so Davis Mills, the returning starter, is a stud. Uh, he was he dealt with injuries last year. If they can protect him this year, if Stanford gets to play football this year, Davis Mills, the guy that we ranked above Tua Tungavailoa coming out of his year as the number one quarterback in his class, has a chance to be really good. Tanner McKee was a he was a top five quarterback in his class. I want to say that class was like maybe 2018. Um, that was the JT Trevor Lawrence. Like, remember at, yeah. at the Elite 11, it was like, damn. Yeah. Like, this kid's pretty good too. And, and there's like three or four or five kids here who are better than him. Yeah. And so Tanner McKee took an LDS mission, came back, and is, is in the, on the roster this year. We don't know what that means. We don't know whether that means he's coming out of shape, hadn't thrown a ball in a year and a half. That very well might have. Uh, but he is really talented. If he finds it, like that's there is a world where there's two first rounders on that in that Stanford room. I mean, absolutely. And even if he does come back out of shape, oh well. I don't. I don't need him to start this year anyway. Davis right. might be a guy who doesn't decide to go pro and and could play. Like Davis Mills is only a junior right now, and I know his I know his family, and they, they definitely value education. I'm not saying he won't go pro, uh, but like he could easily come back. We might not need to see Tanner McKee start for them into, until 2022, and and at that point, you have a guy who is how old is he now? 21. Like you could have a Chris Winkie type situation where you got a, a you know dude who's not super mobile but big arm, accurate guy who is 24, assumedly pretty mature as as, as a first time starter. It worked out pretty well for the Knowles back in the day. Yeah, no, I, I, absolutely. I'm just looking at see if there's any others that that jump to mind. Like I think Mississippi State's room is really interesting. I don't think that I have them 11th. I wouldn't put them 11th based on what I expect from them this year. But I just think KJ Costello is really good, and Garrett Schrader is a is a quality Dan Mullen ish quarterback. Even though he's recruited by Joe Moorhead, he's a bad fit for that offense. But I tried to take sort of offensive scheme fit out of the equation um but if you if you was talking about just sort of different spotty types different skill sets that you can bodies you can throw at the at the offense i think mississippi state's pretty interesting uh washington has got a bunch of former four stars plus this grad transfer who was one of the best fcs quarterbacks in the country last year and kevin thompson that's an interesting one uh usc sort of this year's like Drops off the cliff after the starter. Keaton Slovis is a stud, but there's really nothing behind him. And then Virginia Tech and and Oregon both are pretty interesting with with a few starter quality guys. So, um, yeah, I don't know. This was a mess. This was fun. It's, it's, it's hard to do this, but uh, it's kind of fun to dig into it. Let me ask you a question about Mississippi State. Mike Leach's track record of quarterbacks he has recruited out of high school uh, is kind of downright bad in recent years. He's basically made a living on transfers. Does it scare you at all that, you know, like you said, Schrader's maybe not a fit? We'll see if Maiden's a fit. Leach obviously thinks Rodgers is a fit. Will Rodgers, the, the freshman they just signed in this last class. But at the same time, that, that track record of actually picking guys, 
who are good in his offense is not good at all. It does that give you any hesitation? Uh, well, again, I think it's the thing that like the what's what's the tough thing about Mississippi State is the fact that I don't feel super confident outside of KJ Costello. Like Gary Schrader would be straight up bad in a Mike Leach offense, but I'm giving this room credit for having a a really quality backup in Garrett Schrader because I'm not, I'm, I'm just, I'm taking Mike Leach out of the equation here and just saying, well, Garrett Schrader, if someone plays to his strengths is a really unique player. Um, so it's sort of a, a tough one to answer there with Mississippi state. Uh, I mean, to your point though, like this is a four man quarterback room of which only one of them, he actually recruited out of the high school. So you don't have to sweat it too much. And I think Will Rogers is a pretty solid, like they actually offered Will Rogers. Like he was a Mississippi State commit when Mike Leach got there. But one of the few schools that had actually offered him was Mike Leach at Washington State. So that kind of worked out well for them. Um, so I think he he's probably as, as good a fit as a backup as any of those guys. But just, I mean, Garrett Schrader was just so fun to watch last year. I got to give him some props as just a running, multi-purpose sort of athlete under center, even though, I can't imagine how that works in a Mike Leach offense. I'm interested to see it. I, I say we call it a day right there. We, we, we had another topic we, we were going to get to, but we'll go ahead and keep that under wraps. Uh, y'all, we are very close on the 500 five-star ratings. Like we said, if we get the 500 five-star ratings, I might be able to you know to talk to Barton's wife and say, hey, can we have for two hours next week to, to do a back-to-back double mailbag episode? Um, no guarantee she says yes. No guarantee y'all get us to 500. So let, let's go ahead and get us 500. Appreciate y'all subscribing. Looks like subscriber numbers are up. So more of y'all are actually hitting that subscribe button. We appreciate that. All right, Park. Uh, we'll talk to you next week, bud. All right.